Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the greatest and best pro wrestling podcast on the internet anywhere in the universe, Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I'm Jeremy Vilmer, the Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and joining us now to talk about the most consequential world champions before the formation of the National Wrestling Alliance is the host of the show, Bobby Blaze. Hey, Professor, man, it's good to be back. We've got a really good show packed out today, um, picked out today. You have talked to me about this before, and I'm really excited about it. No opening jokes or anything. Just going to get right into the uh, meat and potatoes of this podcast. It's going to be a good one. It's about the uh, uh, pre-NWA world champions, man. And um, like you said, it's a season four, episode four. And um, it's going to, I'm going to tell you what, it's going to be a history lesson from the professor. I'll tell you, I've, I've done some research and looked up some things that the professor has given me, and um, I'm really excited about this. If you don't mind, Professor, we're just going to jump right into it. I'm going to mention the first thing off the uh, top of my head, something you sent me from Atlas Obscura. Mm-hmm. It's, the, uh, it's an article that came out in about 2016 by Paul Benedetto, the mm-hmm. 1925 match that assured pro wrestling's future would be fixed. And, man, it's excellent. And it's called Meet Wayne Munn. And you're going to give us a little bit of history medicine here, a little bit about Wayne Munn. Yep. But, uh, man, that article just um, – you said it best. There's stuff out there right in plain daylight if you just look. And uh, just go ahead and tell me how you found that article, and then kind of let's go into our podcast with them. Um, I think we're going to do a couple honorable mention pre-NWA champions, then we'll do the top five world champions the way that you and I picked them out. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I'm also going to talk a little bit about disputed branches of the original heavyweight world heavyweight champion title. Um but we'll get into that when we get into it. So, Bobby, you know, right, during right. yeah, during the time that we weren't making this show, I was kicking around some ideas on a new podcast or YouTube series that I could do solo. And what I wanted to do was a history of, of wrestling championships. And I decided, well, let's start with the world championship. And I, like many other people, when we think world championship, we automatically think, oh, yeah, National Wrestling Alliance. But we don't realize that there is a 40-something-year span of world champions before the NWA was formed. And we're going to talk about that today. But so um, one of the things I had come across while doing this research, in the first mention I got of it was 1980, 1981, Bret Hart told somebody that it was Lou Fez who told him the first work match was Ed Lewis in 1925. Right. Yeah, you told me that before, and mm-hmm. I really appreciate you smart me up for that. Yeah, but that was the only reference I could find to it. Okay, so I got a year. I know what champion it probably was. I got a year. Well, then I get Rock Rim's book. Was that last month? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and somewhere in the first quarter of the book, it comes down, and it says that in 1925, Ed Lewis and his guys handpicked Wayne Munn to beat him for the title. And, yeah, so, and Munn was a uh, former NCAA football player, yep. newcomer to the world of wrestling. They kind of picked him just on his size and strength, didn't they? Basically on his look, pretty much on his alone. Look, yeah, yeah. his good look. Okay, gotcha. And so they did a match. I believe it went 40 minutes, which was a short match for back then, which we'll hit a little bit of in this episode. Um, and Wayne Munn became the world champion. Now, the funny part about this, the three guys – who kind of ramrod this were called the gold dust trio. And that was uh strangler Lewis, uh, Tootmans, And, Oh, who was the other guy that I can't think of who the other guy that was with him in that. 
Um, but basically they ran a, a road show. They went around territory to territory with their world champion. And the fact that Strangler was one of them, they knew that if anybody tried to double cross them, fuck them off, do anything like that. Well, Ed Lewis put the boots to him because, yeah. because Ed Lewis was legit. You, you do not fuck with Ed Lewis pretty much, you know? So anyhow, because I had all this info and can now go back and look, I did a quick Google search for Wayne Munn. Ed Lewis, 1925, and came across that article. Yeah. Um, Lewis's manager, Billy Sando, that was the other partner. Yeah, it was with, it. Uh, Toots, uh, Toots Mond yeah. uh, with the uh, Gold Dust Trio. Yeah. Um, so that's who it was. Yeah. I, I knew you knew who it was. So anyway. No, no, I just yeah, I it's interesting come up with stuff, it, yeah. man. Yeah. So that is kind of our starting point here. But um, I did want to dig into this pre NWA period because. A lot of us just think that the NWA was the start of the World Championship, and it most definitely was not. So before we get started, do you want to do some honorable mentions? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think we picked out a couple of them, and that was the first one was the uh, the Golden Greek, Jim Londis. Is that correct? Londos, uh, yeah. L- Londos, I'm sorry, I couldn't read my either. L- Jim Londos, uh, he was a, a Greek ascend. Like I said, he ran away and eventually got about 13, 14 years old and come to the United States. And worked his way into professional wrestling, basically. Yep. And uh, he was the longest reigning champion at 2,628 days. Big star in the 30s and 40s. And um, he once went back to Greece and drew a crowd of 100,000 people. I thought that was pretty impressive. That was some of the things I picked out about him. And I know you've got a little bit more uh, about his uh, run there, I think. But uh, that's what I, I that's the main thing I picked out about him uh, well, to be on honorable mention. Yeah, I mean Jim Londos, I mean we're gonna talk a little bit about, you know, how guys have the look. Go look at a picture of Jim Londos. He looks like Flash Gordon or Superman or something. I mean, he looks like he's right out of the pages uh, of a movie magazine, you know. And so I mean he was he was a legit guy because still at this time you had to be a badass enough guy that you couldn't be double crossed while you were out there working, you know. Right. And so Jim Londos really was, and I think we'll probably talk about him more uh, throughout different episodes as we go now that we have this history. And oh, I don't, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here because in the honorable mentions, we've got a couple other things to cover. So we'll we'll pick up right. on Jim Londos later. But, yeah, he was the, what is that, seven years, eight years? What is that day counts? It's it's up there with Bruno and Vern Gong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, our next honorable mention, and... Again, folks, we're going way back. This is pre-NWA, and you're going to hear a lot more about this gentleman in the next few weeks, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And that's the uh, the great Luthez, who was a 22 times world champion. Of course, he was a three-time NWA champion. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was also our final champion uh, before the belts were unified. I know professors kind of smartened me up to all the way he tied so many of these different titles at the end of our podcast last week when we went off the air, uh, the importance of Luthez. So I know he's going to spend a little bit of time about Lou. But, uh, or Mr. Thez, don't get on the wrong side of the tracks there, Batman, I'll tell yeah. you that. But anyway, he's honorable mention this week, but again, in the, in the, throughout this podcast, if, if not today, in the, in the next uh, couple of weeks, we'll hear a lot more about Luthez. So we don't want thing, anyone think we're disrespecting by putting him as only honorable mention on this, because this is pre-NWA. Yeah, and look, I mean, he honestly, you know, should probably be on this list, but we're going to have to spend so much time on him when we discuss the National Wrestling Alliance World Championship. Right, right. That it's just easier to, to go to that. But Luthez held every disputed branch of the original World Championship. He held the National Wrestling Association World Championship. 
Uh, he was the second man to be crowned NWA world champion. Lou Fez, He's he's one of those names that we hear and we know it's famous, but he's only famous for being famous. When you really dig into what he meant to pro wrestling, Luthez is pro wrestling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for those of us who are little, you know, guys our age, we're older and shit, and we're still too young to remember Luthez for what he was. Yeah. You know, and I had his book. A friend of mine bought me his book, Hooker, um, uh, way back when, and I've I've. I have an idea where I think it was, but moves here and there. There was a red notebook. I wish I could have had it back because it had, um, it was actually a photo book and I had some old letters to the, uh, uh, the, uh, observer that was written in by Carl Gotch and Larry uh, Malenko. And I had some dates that I, where I worked, you know, back in the day and they was reporting those arena reports when I was working back in the territories and my name was in it. And I had that book, but also had, it was a, like I said, a photo journal book of my own. I cannot find that or Luthez book. I think I know which crate they're in. So they may not be lost so much as just a place back in an area. I can't get to right now. Yeah. And if I ever do, I'll bring that out. And, and it, it was a really, I remember reading a book. Actually, it was autographed and everything. Uh, uh, a gentleman sent that to me as a gift one year for my birthday. I was probably about 35 or 36 at the time when I got that. And uh, I just mis- misplaced those. And I'm not really bad for misplacing things. Believe me, I've got a lot of stuff that uh, that uh, I probably just have kept way too long. But those two items, I just um, have not been able to come across. And I've got an idea where they are. I just can't uh, get to them right now. Right. So uh, anyway, didn't yeah. mean to go off on that tangent. No, 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 no. But, um, also, just... Um, Anyway, before we get into this, Jeremy, I want to say a couple little things. I know we're um, coming to you now through um, uh, anchor.fm slash bell to bell blaze, right? That's our new host. Okay. You want to talk a little bit about that or drop in some lines for us? Because I I know we got to put that over uh, here at the top of the hour or whatever. All right. So that was about Anchor FM. But, Bobby, as you were pointing out to me, you can find us at how many other places? Oh my goodness! I know. Okay, this you've got a whole list of them, and I know we're on Instagram now mm-hmm. at Bell to Bell Blaze. Um, I know we've, we're on a podcast, we're on Apple iTunes, we're on Google Play. I popped the other day because we're on iHeartRadio, mm-hmm. and yes, we're on Spotify. Yep. And there's a bunch more. So in addition to the Anchor.fm slash Bell to Bell Blaze, you can find us on anywhere. You can get any any of the top uh, podcasts throughout the world. You can find us on all those, man. And I, I popped again. I popped for iHeartRadio. I don't know why, but I did. But um. And I, I'm glad we're on Spotify too. I mean, we're not Joe Rogan getting some hundred million dollar deal, but uh, we are uh, we are on Spotify. So find us, uh, tell your friends because our numbers are growing again. We lost a few uh, listeners here and there worldwide uh, once we we had took a few months off there, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But we're back, man, and let's build our audience back. So uh, share those, uh, share the Instagram with a friend. Um, uh, let people know, hey, these guys are on Spotify and Google Play and Apple iTunes and all those different things, man. And also, you can find Jeremy on Twitter at the Geekish Cast. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Bobby Blaze seven forty four. And there's a joint account out there on a, a Twitter that's Bell to Bell Blaze. And like I said, we mentioned Instagram. Uh, the professor here's got an uh, Instagram uh, channel or page or whatever you call it. There, what mm-hmm. are those? 
uh, uh, on, on air. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to start joining it this week. I've, I've got some uh, stuff I'm going to start adding to it. We're going to do memes and wrestling things, and, and I've got some T-shirts I'm going to post on air and just some pictures, and we'll keep it all professional wrestling, all under the belt to belt blade stuff. So we hope to build all that stuff back up. While I'm talking about this, real quickly, I want to give a big shout-out to Tex. I hope he's doing okay down in the boiler room there. Hope he's recovering fine. Um, he ran our YouTube channel, and we hope to have him back soon running our YouTube channel, and that's at tinyurl.com slash video, or just go on to the YouTube and look for Bell to Bell uh, with Bobby Blaze Podcast, and you'll see uh, there's like uh, 8,300 people now that subscribed, which is great. Because I want everyone to see Texas good work and hear the professor's voice and mine talking about all these different matches and top tens that we've had in the past uh, past 18 months or so. Well, two years now, but 18 months of really hitting it pretty good. And we've had over 1.5 million views, which I'm just blown away by that. And actually, um, a couple have been taken down, our legitimate tough guys. We had a top 10, and our number one was Ming, and it had over uh, 150,000 views, I think. And um, they took it down, but the rest of them are up. I think Orndorff's hit like 200,000 now on, on legitimate tough guys. Uh, check all those out, though, at the uh, Bell to Bell, or excuse me, at the uh, tinyurl.com BBBB video. Yep. All right, Bobby. I'm going to launch yeah. into a quick history of the world title, and then we'll yep. we'll do our top five most consequential. This is not our favorites. This is not the best. This is not anything like that. These are the five we think are the most consequential in this countdown. That's the most historical interest are on these five people, and we'll get into why with each one. But real quickly, in 1905. The French heavyweight champion, European Greco-Roman champion, and a guy who had just won many tournaments throughout the United Kingdom and Europe was set to face the man who had just won all of the North American uh, championships and was now the American champion because they were both the two people in the world that had the most claim to being the world wrestling heavyweight champion. In 1905, they met. They wrestled, one of them came away the winner, and he was the first world champion, and we'll get to him shortly. But let's start with who we have as number five, Bobby. Okay, number five, coming to you from Dodge, Nebraska, six foot one, 220 pounds. The world's youngest champion at 22 years old is Joe Stetcher. Joe Stetcher. Um, you know, I know you did a little research on like his finishing hold and things. So what, what are some of the things that really stand out about Joe Stetcher besides his very young age? Yeah, he had the great legs, uh, leg strength. That's what he, he had some older brothers that wrestled and, uh, he, it become evident that he was going to be the, uh, the best wrestler of the family once he started beating his middle brother. And he had this, he was known as a scissors king. Mm -hmm. He, uh, used the, um, he would take uh, them big 100 pound sacks of feed and squeeze them and squeeze them between his legs until they burst. And I thought that was pretty impressive. And of course that went right along into his finish in wrestling. You had to stay away from his legs. He, he would do a double leg dive takedown, but if he got you in the, um, with in his legs with the uh, body scissor or leg scissor called either one but if he put them around you he would just especially if you ever been in and i've been in one before and i put someone in a leg scissors uh if you're squeezing i mean you can be working but we're talking shooting here if you feel that person you can feel their breathing and, uh -huh. and if you got that kind of leg strength once they let out that breath and their diaphragm goes in and you can lock down even more you can't get another breath you're, you're tapping out or passing out one or the other um you don't see a lot of these guys 
guys nowadays use a lot of uh, uh, of the body scissors as they, as they used to. They use a lot of head scissors and triangles and things like that with their legs, of course. But, yeah, he had those great um, leg strength, and he used the body scissors or good in the leg scissors for his finisher. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, and uh, Joe Stetcher would go on to hold the title three times. Um, so, which is, I mean, pretty, pretty incredible, uh, numbers right there because a, a multiple reign hadn't really become a thing yet because the world title was so very young. Uh, and one of his greatest feuds would be with Ed Strangler Lewis. Yep. We're going to hear about him in just a little bit, actually. Yes, we will. Unfortunately, Joe Stetcher retired in 1934, suffered an emotional breakdown and spent the next 30 years institutionalized. Uh, in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Um, I do believe that later many people who went to visit him while he was there said that he never lost his edge as a wrestler, though. Yeah, Luther is one of those people that visit him and uh, said that. I like that myself. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. All right. All right. I want to say this real quickly. Thank you for the research you've done on this week's podcast, people. That's why he is a professor out there, wrestling fans. Let me tell you, he does some Class A uh, fucking A, excuse me, okay, uh, grade A professor-level uh, college grad paperwork on this, or research on this, rather. So thank you, Professor. Yeah, and i got to say, it can be a little tricky because wrestling is a little murky history-wise, intentionally so, you know. Yeah. So yeah. really, just because you come across something, like they're all, I, there's some stuff I've got written in here that I still look at and go, I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm going to go with it because this is at <laughs> least, this is at least pop culture, it's right, you know. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I want to get into number four here, and we're going to go with Stanislaus Zabisco. That's right. Five foot eight, 230 pounds, and he held from, he was billed from Vienna, Austria. Yep. Uh, so the last name Zabisco was not his actual last name. Zabisco was the name of a Polish knight that his friends called him after because he was a brave little son of a bitch when he was growing up. <laughs> and um, so that was his name, Zabisco. I cannot pronounce his actual name, so I am not going to try to because I do not want to butcher a Polish name just because I've never learned how to properly read it. Right, right. That's okay because I, I was going to have a hard time staying Stanza's Law. And you smart me up how to say that pretty pretty correctly for a hillbilly there. Yeah. But uh, he was also the world's oldest uh, champion at 46 years old. I thought that's pretty impressive. Yeah. But you, um, he was uh, as you written down there, he was recruited by the Gold Dust Trio too. Uh, you know, to put him back. You know, to they what do they do there? They, they put him on the. Uh, how do they do that? Well, they, they he beat he beat Ed Lewis for the title. Okay, okay. But there was a double cross somewhere. With, well, that's uh, that's coming okay. up here. We'll, we'll get okay, into that in just a minute here, yeah. That's why I'm asking you, Professor. That's yeah. why you're a professor. I want to get ahead of myself. No, no, no. That's, I, just, so, I, knew, I knew your notes, sir. I'm just trying to read yeah. over them. So they um, they put the title on Zabisco, but he kind of Kevin Nash the title, um, <laughs> as in didn't draw any money. Um, <laughs> oh, ba-boom. Oh, hey. <laughs> um, so a little thing happened. This fellow named Wayne Munn, and we're going to get to how he won the title here shortly. This fellow named Wayne Munn ended up with the world championship, and uh, the Gold Dust Trio went to Zabisco, one of their other hand-picked guys, and said, hey, we need you to lose. And Zabisco apparently said, oh, yeah, 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 no problem. And then Bobby... <laughs> Double-crossed him. Yep. <laughs> and, and he knew, and that's the thing. Some of them old-time wrestlers, they didn't like, quote, showmen or muscle men uh, or people that couldn't 
couldn't legitimately wrestle. They didn't really have a lot of respect for that. They knew that he had been picked based on his look, uh, Mr. Munn had, yep. even though, you know, he, he, he beat Ed Strangler Lewis, as we'll find out and stuff. But, um, yeah, so he went to the ring. He basically, you know, gave him the handshake of, yeah, a gentleman's agreement, if you will. I'm going to do the job because I'm not drawing or whatever. And he was like, but that didn't happen. He just double crossed him and he knew he could out uh, wrestle, uh, Wayne Munn. And he did beat him, and that was that. So it was a, it was a fucking double cross. There you yeah. go. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So <laughs> the first, as far as we can tell, <laughs> the first screw job in pro wrestling. This was it. It was Abisco yeah. versus. Went into Mud. business for himself. <laughs> yeah. L- like legitimately. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, refusing to lose to a non wrestler, he agreed to take the loss, and then went in and put the boots to him. Um, so Zabisco, because of this, was world champion twice. I don't know. I have to assume his first win was worked, but we don't know for sure. Uh, but he was world champion twice. Also, when Gotch got over on him, Frank Frank Gotch is dirtier than I realized, man. So Frank Gotch <laughs> jumped him during the handshake and got a pin in like 6.4 seconds. Yeah, well, he probably knew. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do my own business today yeah. if you're going to do yours. So, so anyhow, um, Zabisco, like you said, he was the oldest world champion. Um, and he was cited by Ed Lewis as one of the best legitimate wrestlers of all time. And, of course, the living legend Larry Zabisco would go on to take uh, Stanislaw Zabisco's last name for his own. Yep, and we're gonna have the Bisco on some future episodes. We hope uh, we we got you know some other seasons planned out, and uh, uh, Larry Zabisco's name came up on that. So we'll yep. see. So stay tuned to this podcast, man. It's, we're just working our way back into things, and uh, got a lot of fun stuff uh, like this here, man. We've got this is just amazing. It's history. I've just I've heard different things, and and I'm gonna go ahead and, and tell you number three because this is probably the first name that I heard when I was younger uh, and became a wrestling fan. It was a name that was around still. Um, of course, we'll get to another name I've become quite familiar with. But um, number three is Ed Strangler Lewis, uh, 5'10", 265 pounds, from Nicosia, Wisconsin. I hope I said it. Nicosia, Wisconsin. I hope I said that right. And he had the most title reigns. And I know before I was even a wrestling, this young wrestling fan, people referred to uh, Ed Strangler Lewis all the time. Uh, just whether I watched it on TV or if an old timer, you know, say, hey, you remember, I remember Ed Strangler Lewis or something like that. Yep. So that's probably one of the earlier names of a quote old-timer name uh, of original wrestlers that I remember hearing, especially when I got into wrestling and, and people, you know, see me at the YMCA working out or something. And they said, you know, older guys that were big wrestling fans way back when, you know, these guys were like guys in their 60s and 70s that would watch us work out and stuff and just talk to him. And that was one of the first names I ever heard was Ed Strangler Lewis. Oh, yeah. Um, and he was known for Ed Headlock. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, that's where he got the name Strangler from. Yeah. Um, yep, there you go. Yeah. So, I mean, he was he was a legendary tough guy um you know and like i said so he and tootsmond and um oh was it billy sandow they they did a a touring show so they were really people who got across the country and people got to see these guys in the shows they were running so really that helped you know raise their profile um before we get into too much more of ed lewis here i'm going to cover some of the titles he held because by the time Ed Lewis comes along, the original version of the world title was not undisputed anymore. Okay. Uh, there was the Michigan-Illinois version of the world title. 
There was the original version, which had still stayed in circulation and was a title on its own. Bobby, there was also the AWA, American Wrestling Association World Heavyweight Championship. But you know the weird thing about this? What's that? It's not Vern Gagne. Well, I figured that. (laughs) Yeah. But who, who knew the AWA was a thing before the AWA was a thing, you know? Right, right. There was the Kansas City Midwest Wrestling Association World Championship. But then there was the Midwest Wrestling Association Championship in Ohio. So right. not only were there schisms from the original title, there were schisms in these broken-off titles between territories as well. Right. And another title that uh, Ed Lewis held was the New York State Athletic Commission World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah. And that's why we're, uh, again, we'll go back to uh, talking about Luthez. We're going to talk about him, how he unified a bunch of these titles to eventually become the, to the NWA, where we'll get to eventually on one of our podcasts in the future. Yep. But yeah, I'm just looking at all those different ones. I, I'm familiar with, um, again, one of these things that you just hear about, or you read about in magazines, just where I was at, the, uh, I had no idea it went back that far, though, was uh, the uh, uh, M, M, the Midwestern Wrestling Association over in Ohio, and, and the one up in the World Championship in Michigan. These are the things I've heard about, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was growing up, then of course you'd probably expect that the uh, the New York State Athletic Commission. I'm I'm sure that one was uh, excuse the motorcycle going by out there. But anyway, um, I'm sure some of those titles back then uh, with that, uh, like you said, the uh, the trio traveling around, they probably you know smoothed a few hands here and there too to get them shows over. Oh, and, I'm and sure. Hand picked so many of those people. Like we said, we're talking about those those double crosses. You know, now we're getting to some of those things where you know going into business for ourselves and stuff. They're looking at it. Not so much as uh, what they're looking at still. Don't smarten anyone up, but here's our thing. You know, this is our this yep. is our fucking kayfabe mafia here, if you will. So uh, here's a few dollars. Look the other way, and there you go. Yeah. And this is our champion. But anyway. Yes. So Ed Lewis, Toots Mond, and uh, Billy Sandow, they had the Traveling Road Show, the Gold Dust Trio is what they were called themselves. Um they They had undercards that they promoted. They had full events they took around instead of just being a single act. Yeah. Um, they, they created the first pro wrestling storylines, uh, feuds that they carried from territory to territory with them. Um, and not only that, they basically held whatever world championship they had at the time, they had a hammer lock on it because they could just put Ed Lewis on anybody there and straighten them out. Right. But here, here is that thing we referenced earlier, Bobby. Yep. They found a fella. Why don't you tell us a little <laughs> bit about this fellow Wayne Munn that they found? Oh, man, I've done put my notes away. <laughs> no, 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 I'll tell you a little bit. It's right here, because uh, you sent me that great article, and that's what I referenced earlier in the podcast, was um, the, uh, again, it's from the Atlas Obscura, mm-hmm. and uh, they they actually said, you know, he they picked him based on his looks. They The, the Gold Dust Trio saw Munn, and their eyes turned to dollar signs. He had the size, the body, the look. He was everything they wanted for their next saw. Next star, he just wasn't that good. Munn was a former football player with almost no wrestling background, but he had huge name recognition, as quoted by Mike Chapman. Uh, anyway, he was a big man, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to tell you some things like that. But basically, they, they were going to make money off of him and that Strangler Lewis, and that became our first, quote, worked match. Yep. Um, let me just kind of give you some background there if you want me to. Um, how did that go, Jeremy? Do you, do you recall that when I was just, um, let's see. So all the fans in the stands basically knew that there was no way this young guy could beat, um, Ed 
and strangled Lewis, okay? Yep. So basically, the crowd, they left that not amazed that he won, but they just knew one thing. Wayne Munn beat Ed Lewis, but there was a small problem. Wayne Munn couldn't beat Ed Strangler Lewis to save his life. Okay. Right. <laughs> uh, there's just no way he could beat him. And so there's your very, everyone knows pro wrestling today is a work, a plan event, a show, no different than a television episode or film. And of course, boom, there's your first work, but it wasn't always this way. And that's why we're giving you all this history, but there's your first that we know of work match. Is that correct? Professor? Yeah. The first one we can definitely point at and say, this was definitely work. And look, right. Boxing, baseball, everybody's had a couple cockamamies come through. You know, this is just right. the first time we can look at it and say, okay, definitely pro wrestling started going in a particular direction with this group on this night in 1925. Yeah, you know, you got to realize the uh, the 1919 uh, baseball scandal had taken place already, and uh, people were pretty aware. Sometimes boxing matches they went to an earned card. You know, there was. Uh, you know, promoters book guys that were up and coming, especially in their hometown and stuff, maybe throw them a tomato can here and there. Mm -hmm. But this is the first time that wrestling is like, okay, something just ain't right. Uh, Ed Lewis should have won this match, not, not, uh, uh, Wayne Munn. So there you go. Um, anyway, yeah, <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. No, it is. And can you imagine just being in that crowd? You've watched Ed Lewis just rip ass everywhere he's gone. And all of a sudden this kid comes in and gets yeah, him. I uh, was in about forty minute match too. Wasn't yeah, it? And, like that. yeah, and so okay, think yeah. about that. That's a good length of time. You're talking about some of the other matches later on. My goodness, but that's just forty minutes. That's yeah. a, that's a long damn time. Well, yeah. So um, I was going to say, so forty minutes is actually a short match back then. Right, right. And that right. was that was one of the other things I'm sure that factored into this is that wrestlers probably got to looking around, going, "You know, guys, we're." beating on each other for five hours a night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. we're trying to do a touring show when, you know, after you've had the shit kicked out of you for five hours, it's kind of hard to go work the next show the next day, you know? Yeah. So I'm sure that's what factored into it. Um, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to reference just off of that was that Lewis and Stetcher had one of the longest matches of all time for the world title. It was five and a half hours long. Jeez. Yeah. You imagine that. Yeah. Um, and you, so when this, go ahead. I was going to say, and you think some wrestling matches are slow today. <laughs> Grab a hold, make them watch. Yep. <laughs> um, so anyway, the uh, Ed Lewis, just to give you kind of a finish here, Ed Lewis was known for his headlock. Uh, the professor and I looked this, a uh, couple of them looked like more like a front transfer or what I'd call a front face lock. Um, but nonetheless, he was known for his headlock and that was his, uh, Ed Lewis's finishing hold. And apparently, um, it didn't work on Munn. You know, he, you can believe what you want, but Munn, he muscled the way out of it. And of course that, that's, that should have been the first, uh, cue into the fans right there. But apparently he picked up, um, uh, Lewis and threw him over to the, uh, out of the ring. I don't know if he went over the top rope that first time, but he threw him out of the ring. And, um, I guess his manager said, you know, Hey, we need, we need more time. He's hurt or whatever. And I think they put like five minutes in there, if I'm not mistaken, on that first match. But when he came back in the ring, um, the, uh, because uh, let's see, they tried to Sando, he tried to say, you know, look, just end the match. Cause it's illegal to throw him out like that. And, of course, the referee didn't go to it. He actually gave him 15 minutes to rest and come back. That's what it was. Uh, it's 15 minutes. But when he did come back, Munn quickly lifted Lewis, slammed him to the mat, 
and won in less than a minute. So there you go. So he wrestled for apparently about, what, 25, 30 minutes maybe. Yeah. They got a 15-minute break there for Lewis to, quote, recover. But as soon as he did, Munn picked him up again, slams him, one, two, three, and there's your work match. And, of course, his, the champion was injured, or you can you start a storyline, so to say, basically, right? Basically, yeah. Yeah, okay. So Okay, so there's a bit of history all looked up by the great professor there. I'm just adding my words to it sometimes and, and trying to not screw it up and drop too many F-bombs like I usually do. <laughs> oh, yeah, before so, we go on to number two, Bobby, uh, much like one of our later people here, you are a pro wrestler, entertainer, and an author. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your writing? Oh, yeah. Well, right now I'm trying to work on a third book. Um, just taking my slow time on that, to be honest with you. But I've got two books out there as published right now. You can find them both on Amazon under Bobby Blaze Medley. And I'm just going to give you a way that you can help the podcast out by getting a little bit of kickback. Professor and I looked it up last week after we went off there. Man, we don't get that much kickback, but I tell you what, every little bit helps. We're going to mm-hmm. try to add it up. But uh, my first book is called Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boost with Travel. And here's a way you can get a little help the show out. Go to tinyurl dot com slash blaze book one okay and that's available on amazon you just make an extra click or you just type in tinyrail.com slash blaze book one and take you right to pin me pay me have boost with travel my second book is called i kicked out on two the educational wrestler you can find that again at tinyrail.com slash blaze book two and again i appreciate anytime you purchase a book um, I appreciate it very much. You can also get a hold of me at Twitter at BobbyBlaze744, and I'll send you an autographed copy if you would like to have one. That way, I've had a couple people do that, Professor. Some of our listeners have purchased the book on Amazon, had them shipped to me, and I hope they used the tiny URL. And knowing this person, I think they did use our tinyurl.com slash blazebook1 uh, and blazebook2 because they, they had purchased uh, the one on Kindle, and uh, they asked me to sign both the books. They we got to talking one day, and this person received many shout-outs on the on the program before, so I'm not going to mention. But anyway, nonetheless, they purchased it on Amazon, had it shipped to me, and then I autographed it and sent it out that way to them. So whatever works for you, either way would be great to sell some books, but also just to help this podcast get some kickback. Again, it's tinyurl.com/blazebook1 for pin me, pay me. tinyurl.com/blazebook2 for I kicked out on two. The Educational Wrestler. I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and move on to number two here. And um, you know what? I got to ask this going into it. Um, Bobby, you've actually met a Japanese god before. Uh, yes, I have. And he shook my hand and said, gotch. That's right. But let's <laughs> go. my hand and said, gotch. And man, I know he didn't like guys with long hair. And I was a guy that had long hair. <laughs> well, let's yeah. go back and talk about the original yeah. gotch. We'll talk about number one. Number two. Number two, I'm sorry. Yeah. From Humboldt, Humboldt, Iowa, 5'11", 210 pounds, known for relentless training and focus on style of professional or style of wrestling is Frank Gotch. Frank Gotch. Um, obviously, like we were saying there, Carl Gotch, a man who is literally considered to be a god in Japan, took that name for himself. Uh, Frank Gotch traded the American title back and forth with Tom Jenkins. So they both had a couple title reigns that they would swap back and forth on. Um, he was the first American to win the world title. Now, right. That's right. Yep. To be fair, he was only the second world champion, but still, (laughs) um, had a legendary feud with uh, George Hackenschmidt. But as time goes on, Luthez and these guys come and say that Frank Gotch was a little dirty in the ring. Apparently, he's telling me. Yeah, he'd headbutt people. Rumor is 
when he wrestled Frank Go- or when he wrestled George Hackenschmidt, he punched him right in the nose. Um, <laughs> he showed up to the ring so covered in oil that Hackenschmidt couldn't really get a hold of him. Um, oh, an oil wrestler, yeah. Mm. <laughs> but but this was new. Now, see, here here's what I think. Absolutely, is yeah. Here's what I think is kind of interesting, though. What if he was doing this shit on purpose? What if he was doing dirty to be a villainous character on purpose? <laughs> I know it's maybe. too early. Yeah, I know it's I too know. early for that to really be a thing, but maybe not. He was a showman. Yeah. He yeah. did do a play called Much About About, which was him on stage talking about wrestling. Hmm. I don't know. Um, I, I know this, too. He he did a, a, cross, a, a cross knee lock and an ankle lock. That was his finishing holds. Of course, I mentioned he was known for his uh, relentless training and his focus on style of wrestling, universally, or universally regarded as one of the greatest of all time, and that's yes. why Carl took that name. But also, he'd done a belly-to-back suplex, which eventually become uh, known as a German suplex, because Carl, the German Superman, uh, you know, he'd get behind you and do that belly-to-back uh, suplex, and you just didn't you didn't get up from it, you know. Yep. So that was a finish back in the day, and uh, that's one of, that's probably Frank Gotch's best-known finish. Um, like I said, man, all through the, the all through the nineteen tens and twenties, no bigger star in the world, and he was the first American champion, a freestyle wrestler too. Um and just one of again, one of the great names in all professional wrestling that you ever hear. Um and of course he was initially ignored by Hackett Smith, but they they had that legendary feud you talked about. Yep. Again, it's one of those things. Why go in there? Them guys going in there fighting for four and five hours at a time having these matches. I mean, just the brutality of it. You have to have the conditioning and training and, and, a, and a certain style of wrestling to do that for them two guys to keep up with each other for that long of a period. And I think you were saying this off the air earlier. Uh, you know, someone is grabbing a hold. Just imagine. And people watch them. They drew big houses, too. Yeah. And people watched them, though. You know, they were legit. But then I don't know, man. I'm just going to go on record and say I'm. I'm glad it's at work or a Ming and Barbarian would have held every title there ever was. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's, there's certainly, you know, something to be said for that. So yeah, well, and Gotch was a smart wrestler too, because he won the world title by leaning on the champ, even in they even though they were in what would be called, you know, a quote unquote rest hold or whatever, he put his full weight on the champion and wore him down. Yeah, and I tell you, that wears you down in wrestling. If another man just isn't even in a work atmosphere, and say a guy body slams you, go for a pin. If he puts his body weight on you, you're now breathing for two men, not just yourself, you yeah. know. So anytime, especially like a rear neck and choke or a front face lock or a headlock, if that guy's leaning in on you, man, you got to take care of your, you're trying to control your own breathing, your own conditioning that you've done for that match, you know, your own style of wrestling, of course. But if you're sitting on that hold and he puts that extra weight on you and leans on you, man, it is hard hard not to give up or tap out or to quit or you know just luckily you know he they know enough to to ease up to probably not pass someone out but if you had that chance you would because you're trying to win a match but man i just say that this much i much to me i enjoy to work better uh than having someone lean on me all damn night and whether that's 10 minutes or 30 minutes it's hard when someone's just leaning on you and you're picking up a body slam and they're not working with you or you go to you know like i said again you get slammed and they go to pin you and they put all their weight down on you and you're supposed to kick out on two. Well, it's awful damn hard sometimes to breathe for two people, you know. So keep that in mind when you're saying he's dirty, he's also trying to win the damn match. Yep, that's, <laughs> I, well, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, you know, um, but yeah, he was a smart smart about the way he went about it. Matter of fact, when he won the world title, the person he won it from conceded the first fall and then refused to wrestle the second. Hmm. Um, which is surprising when you, when you see who that was. 
Um, and well, I was going to say, but real quick before we finish up, Gotch was a okay. huge was a huge star, especially here in America. Um, like I said, he had a, he had a stage play he did. Um, he was also invited to the White House by Teddy Roosevelt, where he put on a uh, exhibition match with the Japanese jiu-jitsu champion and made him submit. Wow. Frank Gotch would go on to retire as world champion as well. Yes. I saw that in your notes. That's excellent, Professor. Yep. Excellent. All right. Are we ready to move on or anything that we close out business with before we go into number one? I believe that's everything I've got on Mr. Gotch right there. Okay. Well, let me just go into number one then. This is pre-NWA World Champions dating back to 1905. Number one, I hope I get this right too on this from uh, Tartu. Estonia, mm-hmm. five foot nine, two hundred eighteen pounds. George Hackensmith, the world's first heavyweight champion. He beat Tom Jenkins in New York City. Um, and go. That's what I have. For oh yeah. Well, so George Hackenschmidt, also known as the Russian Lion, because uh, you know I guess Estonia was not completely a separate country at this point. Um, he was a soft-spoken, cultured, intellectual man. He spoke seven languages. Yeah, Flo- I was impressed when you wrote yeah. me that. Thank you. Fluently, he was an author, a philosopher, <clears throat> but as a younger man, it is even believed that he created the bench press. Oh, wow! Yeah, uh, so he was a strong man, a wrestler, a philosopher. Um, let me th- let me see here. I, I was going to say I pulled up some of his some of his feats of strength. He could lift a small horse off the ground. Yeah. He could, he could single arm press two hundred and seventy six pounds above his head. And from a wrestler's bid, uh, bridge, he could lift over 300 pounds off the ground. Good Lord, man. That's, that's incredible. That's yep. incredible, man. He had a career that spanned 3,000 matches with two losses. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He was a European Greco-Roman heavyweight champion, right? Yes, he was. He was a French heavyweight champion and then a world heavyweight wrestling champion, the one that we're talking about right now. The world's first world heavyweight champion, correct? Yes. He, um, to 1905. Yeah, he faced Tom Jenkins in 1905. Um, okay. Because Tom Jenkins had basically, Tom Jenkins had won all of the tournaments and titles and everything you could in the western part of the world, or the western hemisphere. And George Hackenschmidt had beaten everybody in Europe and the UK. So basically you had two men who could really claim to be the world champion at that time. Because they both just they had they had everything that was available in catch wrestling, Greco-Roman style, and freestyle wrestling. They they had all the tournament wins, all the titles you could have. So in 1905, they faced each other to see who the real world champion was, and it was George Hackenschmidt came out victorious. There you go. And again, let me just say this: Thank you, Jeremy, Professor Vilmer, or is that Valiant? I'm not sure. But anyway, I know one damn thing. This is why you're a professor. This this podcast wouldn't have been possible without professor's great research and also lead me to some great articles. Myself, not put myself over, but I will. Um, being a lifelong learner, I really enjoyed the last couple of weeks of having these notes and stories. Um, like I said, I referenced that one earlier. I really liked that uh, article that went back to 1925, uh, the match that uh, ensured pro wrestling's future would be fixed. Again, I appreciate that, and uh, I appreciate all your hard work into this uh, podcast. If you're listening, fans, please, wrestling fans, tell all the other wrestling fans about our podcast, The Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. Hit me up at Twitter at BobbyBlaze744. Hit the professor up at the Geekage Cast, or hit up our joint uh, you, uh, 
Twitter account at Bell to Bell Blaze. Again, look for us on Instagram at Bell to Bell Blaze. Got some really neat stuff we hope to be putting out really soon. Got some more podcasts coming to you next week. Professor, I'm going to say it, and now I'm going to let you close out the program. Mm -hmm. Thank you again for all the information that you sent me. Thank all the wrestling fans that's tuning in. We are getting our numbers back up. Uh, we do like our numbers going up because we hope you like what we're podcasting, man. And that's pro wrestling history for the next couple of weeks. And uh, something we all love. And, and we've done this little go all the way back to pre-NWA, uh, to earlier times in professional wrestling, before it was a work, to through it was a work. We kind of smartened you up. And next week, I think we're going to be doing the top five NWA World Heavyweight Champions, if I'm not mistaken. Is that yes, correct? Yes, we are. Okay, until then, I'm going to sign off by saying, people, please, wear a mask, stay safe, stay strong, be good to each other, or be kind to each other, and that's my word. Thank you. Yep. Uh, you know, like Bobby was saying, next week we will be back with our top five most consequential National Wrestling Alliance champions. I do have to say that because there was another NWA that we'll briefly talk about next week. Uh, after that, we will cover the AWA, the WWF, and a few other titles. And that will be the end of our season, and we'll take a month off, and we'll be back with some new episodes after that. Please, if you got a friend who's into wrestling, tell them about Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. Make sure you listen to the show every chance you get. Rate and review us where you can. Uh, spread the word. Look, we do this We do this show because we enjoy it, but if we could make a little scratch off of it, we would do it even better. Um, you know, <laughs> and like Bobby was saying, yes, please, if you are going out in public, wear a mask. Also, feel free to pick up an Acme brand folding steel chair and hit anybody you see not wearing a mask. With that being said, for Bobby Blaze and myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, bye bye, everybody.